The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. My name is Roger, along with my co-host, Jason. And today on the episode, we're uh, excited to have our, another guest with us, Paul Barmaksesian. Say that three times fast. And we're going to talk about Say it one time today. fast, Roger. Say it one time. <laughs> And as we always do at the beginning of our shows, we like to get to know each other a little bit better and ask questions. Um, and so today, question I have, and we're going to ask Paul first and then go over to Jason, is since you did live overseas uh, for a while, what was your favorite international cuisine that you had uh, while over in uh, Nicaragua? Oh, yeah. Favorite, favorite, okay, favorite single item by far is fried ripe plantain. Mm. We call it maduro frito. So it's like mm. when the plantain gets into that ripe. So you could have plantains like pre-ripe and plantains mm -hmm. ripe. And man, when it's fried, it's fantastic. It's just this like sweet, fantastic flavor it goes with anything <laughs> single single item by far that thing is fantastic but we had street food in in managua all over nicaragua but mostly in managua called fritanga and it's essentially like having a piece of carne asada with gallo pinto the rice and beans mix mm. with like a piece of fried cheese and then huh. sometimes when when times were right you get a maduro frito right you get a plantain <laughs> with that Oh man, that's just good stuff. Good stuff. Bad for you. <laughs> and they, you know, they're making they're making it on the street, like cars going by. Who knows what's like in that food, right? <laughs> by the time you eat it, but man, every so often you get a craving for, for one of those. Well, we hope if you're listening that you've already eaten dinner and not uh, <laughs> yeah, any yeah. hungrier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting hungry. <laughs> So Jason, this is for you. Uh, I know you've traveled a little bit and, and you can't use anything uh, with our ethnicity. So no Middle Eastern food. It has to be something outside of hey. what is normal for us anyway. So that's not international to us. But Ask him what he ate in Nicaragua. There we go. <laughs> what did Paul feed you? <laughs> well, there were a few times Paul fed us some pretty good food there at uh, the cafecito they had. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, I mean, man, I know we're related because fried plantains are like my favorite. <laughs> Serious? Favorite, honestly. Uh, let's wow. see, though. What, what do you, some international cuisine since like, like that I've actually gone to and tasted, or can it be mm -hmm. something I ate in like New York? Um, we might give you a pass. Okay. Because, okay, I'll tell you what. I, I, okay, I got one for you because I've traveled, you know, so extensively. Mm -hmm. uh, not quite. <laughs> um, but, but I did, I have been to Canada and I have been to Montreal and in Montreal, I had some amazing souvlaki mm. and I know you said no Middle Eastern, but may let's say they're Greek. Okay. So it's a little different. And this souvlaki was with, with their, uh, what is the sauce on the souvlaki? Now I forget. It goes with the euros too. Uh, 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 the tzadiki. 
Tzatziki, yeah. oh, I think. Tzatziki, yeah. Although maybe the Tzatziki was with the Euro that I had because I had a lot of food there. But man, <laughs> that souvlaki was amazing. Mm. Make you cry kind of amazing. <laughs> so, all right, Roger. I mean, we you can just ask us the question and get away with not answering it. So uh, what's yours? What's your favorite international cuisine delight? Yeah, it, it kind of too two small things so i i think my favorite was when i traveled to el salvador and we, we were all building up to this moment and they said you have to have the pupusas oh. in el salvador and having yes. authentic pupusas we were i didn't know what to expect but they kept talking about it and when we finally had it then i understood and yeah. i really miss them you have wow. them here they're just not the same it, it was yeah. uh, an amazing meal and just we we're uh, had, had a good time uh the other place i visited uh, uh with work it was uh, in eastern europe we went to ukraine and this wasn't a favorite this was more of an observation that almost in every home we went to there was a platter they would bring out to us and it was meat and cheese and it was like the same type of meat and cheese in every single house and i couldn't figure out why are they serving the same thing like they have an excess of this mm. meat and cheese all over <laughs> and that they wanted to feed us so just a memory i had uh there but uh, uh very good yeah so in this episode today we're going to interview paul who is our new uh director of outreach at uh, our church mount Adat bible church as we call MABC, and he spent many years on the mission field, and we wanted to interview him and, and learn about uh, what he did on the mission field and just gain an understanding of his experience and have that encourage us uh, in this episode. So uh, we're going to start out kind of before you went to the mission field, Paul, and just ask you, uh, what were you doing prior to heading out uh, to the mission field? Yeah, so... Um... On the career side, I was, uh, I had my own company. Uh, we were in the data warehousing and business intelligence universal mm. technology, right? A lot of software engineering coding, specialized coding for big databases. Uh, I had, had grown into that career from college and uh, grown up in there. Uh, I was also serving in church from a very early age. Mm. I mean, from like 17 got out of high school and started serving immediately both in the youth group and then eventually into the college group then eventually into sunday school then eventually back into youth mm. group again so we had been doing a lot of serving in the church uh and i think that a lot of that is why as we go through our story why we we were driven into the mission field so mm. yeah so were there some key moments as you were serving in ministry and, and even in your career, you have this company and you're working, what were, what were some of those moments that started to turn your mind or your attention to think missions and to think you wanted to pursue that route in life? Yeah, you know, that's a good question for us. It was early on. And I say us uh, because Ani, my wife, was very much part of that from mm -hmm. very early on. Uh, we were part of a puppet ministry, like, you know, the Muppets puppets. Okay. Uh, we were doing puppets uh, in, in church services, in different events. Uh, this ministry had grown and we eventually decided we were going to go do a mission trip to Armenia. Uh, so in 1993 and 94, we did two short-term mission trips to Armenia. 
speaking with everything that's going on today in Artsakh, uh, we were there. We were there in Artsakh in 93. Uh, there was this two-week period of time where there was peace. Hmm. Um, we, I, I slept at a soldier's house. We I have plenty of stories wow. of that area. Um, that first trip in 93, I'm 17 or 18, I, I don't remember, is when we really felt like, wow, is this something we would do? You know, hmm. we, we had, for the first time, seen uh, what extreme poverty was. Hmm. We had, for the first time, seen a different worldview. Uh, at the time, Armenia is coming out of the Soviet, you know, the Soviet era. And so that's still going on. There was a lot of mafia. There was a lot of yeah. uh, that type of thing going on there. So we were seeing a, a view of the world that we hadn't seen before. We had grown up in a, in a very suburban bubble, as, as mm. you know. Uh, and so I think that very early on opened our eyes to, mm. wow, would we become missionaries? Uh, would, and without even using that term, we were just like, would we do this uh, on a full-time basis? I think God then prepared our hearts. Uh, you know, I look at my life. Yeah, it went towards a different way. And we started this business and, and things were booming and we were doing very well. But I think all of that was just our father prepping us for what would eventually become a mission trip to Nicaragua. Yeah, I, I resonate with what you're saying of, uh, you know, when you go over there and you start to see what real poverty is like. Uh, I had that experience with traveling with work to, you know, different countries and going over and actually seeing and experiencing it is so different than what you hear. You know, the, the sights, the smells, the sound of poverty that you experience impact you and you just don't forget those moments. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so, so important. And, and this is why we say a lot of times I've said, you know, mission, short term mission trips are not about the people you're serving. Mm -hmm. It's it's about the team member on that mission trip and, and the change that God will do in their heart that may last for a long a lifetime. And, and our story is exactly that changed us so much that we went down there. <laughs> so, so how did you go from, uh, you're on this short-term mission trip to Armenia, uh, you're back here serving at church. How do you go there from where you end up in Nicaragua? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a long story. I don't know how much time we have, but I, I think from that time, even as I started getting deeper into my career and into my working you know, you have a few years where you, you, you have, I would say, focused working years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as I was getting into that kind of season of life, even then, we were in LA, we were in Pasadena, I had felt, I think two things were going on. One was the, the Holy Spirit was just working on me to look into uh, more in-depth ministry. And I also was having this kind of I don't know what it is. I call it a frustration of suburban living, right? Mm -hmm. There was LA competition. Uh, you're constantly looking at your neighbor, your friend, your this or that, and you, you got to have the same car. You got to have the same this and that. So there was a lot of this, like, do we want to grow up and bring up our family in that kind of financial pressure and, and competition that, that competitive lifestyle. Right. And so those two things were happening uh, we decided that 
it would be good to try and move away from family. We're Armenians. And as we all know, <laughs> Armenians stay together, right? We, <laughs> we like to, we like to stick together. And uh, it, it was a challenge for us to see, Hey, what if we just could separate from family to see, could, can we do this? Mm-hmm. So we decided to move up to Washington state. Uh, we have a daughter with albinism. Michelle has albinism. And so Washington state seemed like the right place to go. Cloudy, <laughs> constantly cloudy, no sun, uh, and go figure go with God's sense of humor, where we end up is, you know, closest place to the equator we can get to. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in Washington, we, I was talking to the pastor there of the church we were going to, and, uh, he guided us to Nicaragua. The church was, taking short-term mission trips to this place called Via Esperanza, the Village of Hope, okay. uh, a ministry of Forward Edge International. They had been going down a, twice a year at the time, and they had a missionary down there. Susie Miller uh, was living down there at the time, and she had just been coming back up to kind of raise funds and tell the story of the girls at the Via, and so we met her. Uh, and then I went down on a short-term trip in March of 2010. Okay. Uh, and like we were just talking about, uh, I smelled what the dump is like. Uh, I understood that there were thousands of families living literally inside of a municipal dump site. Yeah. Uh, I heard the stories of what these girls are doing as part of their job uh, in the dump site. And uh one morning after going to the dump, that was it. I was <laughs> bawling my eyes out. <laughs> I did not grow up being an emotional guy. God has completely changed me since that time. <laughs> now everything kind of triggers the, the tears come out. So that's a good thing. Uh, it's the age. You're he, aging. It's age. It's probably yeah, age. You're aging. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. <laughs> That means it's coming to you too. So be careful. (laughs) I was going to say it's Jason's preaching every week. It's the preaching. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was down on that first trip that I think God was slapping me around. So I had gone by myself in 2010 with a team with my cousin, actually, uh, my cousin-in-law and we had gone down together I came back to Washington and told Ani, hey, I think God's calling us to be missionaries full time. And she said, absolutely mm. not. That's not going to happen. <laughs> right? That's a standard yeah. reaction yes. from your wife. Right? <laughs> I would expect. We had a one-year-old at the time. I think he was uh, okay. one. So, I mean, I get that. Yeah. But that, that year till the next year that we went down, God was working on her heart as well. And I think she mm. understood. By the time we went again on a short-term trip, in 2011, we went in March of 2011 uh, with Ani. And by that time, uh, we were pretty much convinced that God was calling us to the mission field. So we stayed a little bit longer than the team stayed just to get an idea of like, how do you live in this place? You know, mm. what is a, a Westerner, you know, quote unquote, Westerner live like here? And how do you go to the market? And is there a standard kind of grocery store, things like that? So we stayed and some missionaries took really good care of us and showed us around. And then that was March of 2011, September 2nd of 2011. We were, we were moved out. So you were there for almost 10 years then. Yeah. Nine years, nine and a bit, maybe. Uh, Yeah. It it was 
quite a ride. So we fast forward now to, you know, to the present day, you're back here, you're back at the church and I'm sure you've had a lot of time to just reflect and, you know, think through uh, a transition back, you know, you made a huge transition there and now you're really sure. making a huge transition back to what life is like here in the States and a local church being connected, I'm sure with old family and friends and, and all that. But as you think back to the mission field and, and, and what God called you to do, what were some of your greatest joys? And then on the flip side, some of the greatest challenges of the work that you were involved with. Yeah. So I'll bring up the one joy that I will always bring up. Uh, Mm. And and I'm sorry if I get it, it touches me, man. I get a little emotional about these things, but, uh, so I, I worked with, as you all know, I worked in a ministry that was for at-risk girls. Uh, these were typically teenage girls, anywhere from teenager to, you know, 22, 23-year-old girls. And so I will say that here and there. Sorry, I apologize. I'll call them my girls or our girls or the girls. <laughs> uh, but these were the these were the folks that God put us in ministry with. And so we were serving them. Uh, I have a young spiritual daughter. Her name's Ileana. Uh, I treat her like my own daughter. <laughs> we talk all the time. Uh, she's now, you know, 24 years old. She's uh, in a good, healthy relationship uh, to watch a kid. And it's not all of them. It's a small percentage, but to see a kid finally grasp what it means to have a father that loves them. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, that just blows my mind. To, these are girls who've had multiple men come in and out of their lives. Hmm. Uh, multiple men make promises to their moms that they'll take care of their girl. Hmm. Uh, multiple men impregnate their moms and then take off on them. That's all they've seen. And so the concept of a man actually loving me, hmm. forget that. The concept then of a father who would love me now you got to go beyond that and the concept of this eternal God who in his sovereignty made all this happen in my life uh, to, to, to understand that that father loves me and cares for me, man, when, when, when you see that click in, in a girl or in a young person in general, to finally have that click that I am loved and I have a purpose in life. Wow. That just blows me away. I mean, that's the greatest joy. I, I mean, there's a lot of fun little things that happen, especially with sure. teenage girls, right? That are fantastic and hilarious and fun. But there is nothing like seeing that click happen. Uh, and just being there, being a part of that and, and mm-hmm. being able to model God's love, a father's love to these girls and they've not had that model ever in their lives. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very spoiled. I grew up with two solid parents, right? Hmm. I have a father figure in my house, not a perfect father figure by any stretch, but man, he was there, right? He was there for me. He cared for us. He studied hard to take care of his family. He, he has his own story and his own background immigrant. And I had that figure in my life and, these girls did not. And so to be able to model that was a very, very special 
I was very privileged to be able to do that. It's an honor and it's very humbling. Uh, and for them to then catch on to who Jesus is and who God is, wow, that's powerful. Paul, yeah. can, I, can I ask a question along those lines? How long did it take with most of these girls for them to begin to trust you and begin to mm. see you as someone who's not just their short term or whatever? I mean, what, what was it that helped? Man, that, that, yeah, that varied so much for each girl. There were girls that have, they put up this wall. I mean, there's this wall with every, I believe every young person and every one of us have a wall, but it was so hard to break through that wall with some of them years. Uh, so, so with some of these girls, it takes years to gain that trust with other girls, because they hear from these girls who have, I've broken trust with or been able to get trust with. They come into the via with that sense of, yeah, you can trust this guy, right? Yeah. This guy cares about you. He's not going to harm you. Uh, and so it's been a little easier with certain girls, but you know, it took years even with Ileana to like continuously have these conversations that get deeper and deeper. Your initial conversations with these gals are just, you know, on the surface level. And what, what, what do you think? So besides just conversations, what, what built that trust? Like, what are they, what are they watching for? What are they looking at in, seeing, in your interaction? Yeah, that's a good question. One, they're seeing if you're going to take off on them. It, <laughs> If they do something negative to you, are you going to dismiss them? Hmm. Because that's what everybody else has done to them. And they will purposefully challenge you as all the young people will. They'll challenge your limit and they want to see, is this guy going to ditch me? Is he going to take off on me? Hmm. Is he going to ignore me? They're, they're testing that. And that's throughout the relationship. Uh, but they're, they're also checking, how does this guy react uh, when I do something that may seem out of the norm or when I share something that I haven't shared with anybody else, what's that reaction? Is he going to go gossip about it and tell everybody in the world? Or is he going to keep that with himself? Is he going to pray with me about it? What is that reaction? And when we have a healthy reaction to those things, and healthy doesn't always mean we agree with with their sentiments and how they're feeling or the actions or behavior that they took. But healthy means you validate and then you guide and you mentor, right? So those are the two things I think they look for and they challenge you on. Even today, that happens even via text, right? <laughs> wow. Good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those experiences. It's, it's interesting, the perspective of it, it's not just the gospel that's being presented to them. It's not just sharing Jesus with them, but you're, you're trying to give them the right understanding of God, the father to one who doesn't understand what a father looks like. And yeah. just hearing how you, you present that was very uh, encouraging to, to hear and to see yeah. your heart in that. Um, let's look at something general, uh, for, for missions as, as you experienced and, and, and the reality of, of all of life is it can be difficult no matter what vocation we're in, in church ministry outside the church. But, um, when you were, th when you think back to the mission field and you went there and you're reflecting what, what surprised you, what was one thing that surprised you? 
uh, on the mission field that you didn't know before? Yeah. So we, again, I was naive going onto the mission field. I, I don't come from a background of missionaries as other missionaries had when they were there, yeah. you know, it, you know, some people have had three generations of missionaries in their families. Right. And so yeah. they understood, they grew up on the mission field. They were MKs as we would call them, <laughs> right. Missionary mm. kids. Uh, I did not have that background. I'm coming in fresh. Uh, I'm not what you would consider the stereotypical missionary type. I'm not a doctor or a pastor or <laughs> I'm a geek, right? I, I'm a tech guy. <laughs> I, I can do some QuickBooks and I can do some coding, right? And so I was not that classical what, what one might think. And so when I got onto the mission field, I was surprised by a lot of things. But I think the biggest thing that surprised me was how much competition there is mm. within missionary organizations. Mm. I was blown away and really frustrated mm. to see that, you know, there were several missionary organizations working inside this dump area. Okay. The okay. dump's 70 acres. It's not huge by any stretch. We're talking about a couple thousand people. And I did not see them come together. I did mm -hmm. not see them say, hey, look, we're all working with the same people here. <laughs> why, why don't we do this together? And we could have a much bigger impact or a much deeper impact. Uh, there was competition for resources. There was competition for translators. There was competition for funding. Uh, it's amazing how, how human nature even gets gets into what we think is the most benevolent job you could have right <laughs> you're you're a missionary right yeah. that's as, that's supposed to be as good as now it's it's funny to see how much competition there is there and how many egos are involved in these things mm. how many mini kingdoms are being built uh and that 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 was sad that was hard to for me to to process it still bothers me that that happens i understand it I get that resources are, especially in a country like that, are, are scarce, but uh, are scarce. Um, but I just, I just don't come from that. I come from a world I thought we were going to have a big kumbaya moment, right? Mm -hmm. We're all going to get together around the campfire and sing, and it just didn't happen. And so by the third year, I think I broke down in frustration, and thank God I had, you know, experienced missionaries with me. Like Susie and others that just kind of walked me through that process that that you got to get over that hump, right? Yeah. Do you think? Sorry, Paul. Do you think uh, any of that, or or was it more personal? Um, like you said, kind of building their own kingdoms, limitation on resources, those types of things, or were there any? Uh, hey, this is I'm sent from this church and or this missions organization that group that church doctrinally or whatever is just different so we can't work with this other group yeah um, think, was there any uh, of that as well or is it i'm sure there was i'm sure there was that that's got to play a role i mean there were very clear denominations coming down but there were also folks like me i mean i i came down through you know they call it like a parachurch organization it's it's, it's a doesn't belong to a particular church it's an organ it's a non-profit uh so I think that might've played a role with some that they need to go through whatever denominational thing they were coming through, or they had differences in their understanding of missions and uh, their theology of things. But 
even then, I mean, we're serving, we're serving the same Christ, right? We're serving one Christ, one God. Uh, and we could have done things together. Yeah. Right. Even with those differences. Sure. Yeah. I think that's why we're reminded in scripture to uh, beware of selfish ambition, you yeah. know, and building our own kingdoms. And you even see divisions in scripture of the, uh, you know, um, competition between yeah. Uh, yeah. servants of the Lord. So we know it's part of our fallen condition to yeah. uh, at times it, fall into that. And it, it is fascinating and probably good for our listeners to hear um, not, not because it's good to hear of kind of how bad people can be. Uh, but, but really, you know, we, we, like you said, we think of the most altruistic pre- people or the missionaries who give up everything to go out on the field. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to the sacrifice there. Certainly. Uh, but at the same time, they struggle with the same problem of sin that we all struggle with. Yeah. You know, a pastor is no less a sinner than a regular person in the pews. A missionary is no less a sinner than someone here in the States. We're, we're dealing with the same tempter who is trying to tempt us and lure us away from living wholeheartedly for Christ and uh, with full abandon. So wherever we are, we're at risk and we've got to be on guard. Um even in ministry, we got to be on guard. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you just nailed it. And, and I will, I'll take this moment to pause for a second and just tell you all how thankful I am that we had, uh, not just MABC, we had people around us in the United States constantly praying, uh, mm. constantly thinking about us, constantly bringing us up to the Lord. You know, it's difficult enough to live there. It's difficult enough to have all of these issues going on uh, to not have that support would have been so much more challenging for us. And so we need to do that with those in ministry. Uh, we need to constantly be praying for you guys, especially the two of you, as you lead up a church. Um, and, and I do, I do. I pray for you often because I know the challenges that are out there. Yeah, that's good. So we have a lot of people in our congregation, you know, young people who have thought about, <clears throat> excuse me, thought about missions, you know, maybe gone on short-term mission trips and uh, have considered it. So from your experience, what, what would you tell someone who's considering long-term missions? Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you two sides to it. On, on, on the one side, <laughs> do it, man. <laughs> you are here for a very short time on this earth. If you got 80 or 90 years, <laughs> that's a blessing. Yeah. You may not even have that. Man, go full on. <laughs> have that crazy love kind of mentality, right? Uh, go for it. Say yes to where he's calling you to. I will tell you on the flip side, as we were prepping to become missionaries, we would, we were, listening to uh, Piper's book, man, I forgot the title of it at this point, but in his book on missions, and I'll figure out what the title is soon enough, uh, he does warn about a couple of things, and I think those were important. One is, are you going down to be a missionary because you love to travel and are excited about, Mm -hmm. about adventure? Are you going down to be an adventurer? Are you going down to be a hero? Uh, I would cut 
that type of thinking's got to come out of your head because you're going to have the shock of your life when you get down there. Uh, it, this, this mentality of somehow you're going to save the world <laughs> has got to go away. Uh, I ministered to many, many young people down there and very few came to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jesus ministered to many, many more people and very few followed him off that mountain. <laughs> and yeah. we got to remember that uh, people that go down with that philosophy in their head that they're somehow going to be these heroes uh, there's going to be a grand wake-up call come year number two or three mm-hmm. it's just going to be a big wake-up call when there's yeah. so much rejection down there I say down there because I went to Nicaragua. It could be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking not south much all the time. Up. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, well, not much north Canada, for us. man. Canada needs. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. By it way, could be, good. but it could be east, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that book was Let the Nations Be Glad. Is that the yes, one? Yes, that's one of them. <laughs> and, and his other fantastic book that you should read. Uh, man, what was his other great book? Let the Nations Be Glad is a very good book. Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, man, that's a, just a, a great book to read prior to jumping onto the mission field. Several books I can I can offer up that really encouraged us and helped us and challenged us prior to going. But do that's it, great. do it. Don't say no. Don't say no to where God's calling you, young people. <laughs> do it. Hey, while you're I hear I hear a lot of like. I'll go to the mission field when I'm 40 and 50 and I'm done with my career. No, man, do it while you got the energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but I mean, like in all honesty, older folks uh, can do it too. I mean, when Tons. I say older folks, it doesn't have to be the, the, the youth all the time or the, the, no, the adults, no. but how know, powerful is it to have, I mean, think of that wisdom going down to share that kind of wisdom when you're in that age range, right? The 50 year old range, the 60 year old range. We had, I mean, I was going to the 60 year old uh, couple to, to, to hear from them and, and gain from them. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Age is not, should not be the factor yeah. to, you, to live your life for Christ should not be based on what your age is. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Paul. I think uh, it's been encouraging to hear your experiences and and your wisdom of being on the mission field. It's a great tension you bring to of of just do it, but know what you're getting yourself into and don't find your identity in being a missionary, uh, have really the right motives for going down there. Um, I think that was great to hear your heart on, on missions and to see how the Lord used you. And to know the reality that he's working, even though we may have high goals, it's really his work and his results. We're just called to be faithful to do what he's called us to do. Amen. Amen. Well, we hope uh, uh, our listeners enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. And you can subscribe uh, to our podcast. Send us an email, any comments you have. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And we hope that we will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.